Yeah. Although, you know, you get around that with online uh, subscriptions to everything. So I get The Economist the, the same day that people in London get it. So that's Oh, come on. That, that wasn't even subtle, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, did you know that there's fascinating things going on in Indonesia? It's true. Because <laughs> I read The Economist. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to episode 149 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. We're joined by Ken Funk today to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. Later in the show, Pete Barrett will talk to Mike Bowman of MLB.com. Uh, Ken, um, we Ben and I, I think it's probably something we talked about, um, last summer when the Brewers traded Zach Greinke and they went on a hot streak, um, how they were sort of in a kind of no man's land where they were, um, you know, good enough that maybe they might have regretted giving up on the season as early as they did. Uh, they missed the playoffs by about five games, and um, but yet not really that good uh, at the end of it either. And this offseason they did really maybe less than any other team in baseball. I think they're third biggest move was signing Kelvin Escobar. Um, so do you think that they are a team that is uh, that has a direction that it's going either toward or away from short-term contention? Or is this a team that's going to be sort of stuck in this confused purgatory for a few years and then have to rebuild? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I honestly don't think that they're stuck in any sort of a purgatory, and I think that they have a plan. Um, the, the trade at midseason last year, I don't think that they're going to regret the Granke trade at all. When you look at the return that they got, they've, they uh, got uh, Gene Segura, who is their shortstop of the future, which was a crying need um, for them. Um, they got two pitching prospects, one of whom is, uh, is uh, John Helweg, who will probably um, be a key bullpen guy. I, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that he'll actually be able to stay a starter since he doesn't have a third pitch and really doesn't have a lot of control, but he looks like he could be effective in relief. Um, I, I, I think this is the culmination of the whole thing that Doug Melvin did to try and bring in enough pitching to abet the bats that they had. They had that core with Braun and Fielder and uh, um, Corey Hart for a while, J.J. Hardy um, and Ricky Weeks. They, they were not able to develop any pitching in-house to abet that. So they, they made some trades. They traded uh, away some, some prospects to bring in uh, Sean Markham and uh, Zach Greinke. And by doing that, they were able to make the playoffs in, in sort of Prince Fielder's swan song. Last year, um, with Fielder gone, they just weren't the same team. They were still scoring runs, but I think that they sold high on Greinke. They, they weren't able to get back quite as much to stock the system as they gave up to get Greinke and, and Markham. But I think that, that that gave them a significant infusion of talent. So going into this year, um, instead of going out and doing what they've had to do in the past, which is buying free agent starters off the rack, which has not been something that's worked out very well for them, signing guys like Jeff Supan and, and uh, Braden Looper and Randy Wolf. Um, instead, they've got some pitching talent in the system, and they're going to see what they can do with these guys. So I think that this year, while I'm not sure that they're going to necessarily contend for, for a title in the Central, I think they're going to find out a lot about what they have in the system and where they go from here. I think by the end of the season, they'll have a good idea of whether or not they've got enough pitching in the system to build a cheap stable of starters that they can build on to contend over the next few years. Do you think they do? 
I'm not sure. I mean, it's really fascinating when you look at the rotation, the way it's set up right now. You've got uh, Giovanni Gallardo, who is a lot younger than people think. You know, he's it's his 27th birthday today, so happy birthday, yo, if you're out there. Um, he's a solid starter in his prime. Um, after that, you've got Marco Estrada and Mike Fires, who are slotted into the number two and three spots, who were actually outstanding in about 120 and 130 innings each last year. Um, there are questions about their durability, whether they can work uh, enough innings to be a starter throughout the whole year for you know 200 innings. Um, Estrada's never worked more than 160 in the majors or the minors, and Fires has only once. Um, but unlike guys like Estrada and Fires, who have not what people would call electric stuff. It's fairly mundane stuff. They're not pinch-to-contact guys. They're guys that actually have really good strikeout rates. It's really surprising when you look at like a 120-inning cutoff and you start going down the list of pitchers by strikeout percentage. You go Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, Yu Darvish, and whoa, there's Marco Estrada at number four. And then Clayton Kershaw, Gio Gonzalez, and Mike Fiers at seven. It's really kind of surprising. So we'll find out next year whether they can bear up to the, the, the full pitching workload. They also give up a lot of fly balls. So there's a question whether they'll be able to keep the ball in the park enough to be as effective as they've been. But there's a possibility that one or both of them could be the number two, number three starter going forward. After that, you've got a lot of young guys in the system. You've got Chris Narvison, who's the the veteran fifth starter coming back from injury. But then the top prospects in the system are Willie Peralta and Tyler Thornburg. Um, and they'll find out this year whether or not they'll be able to move into the rotation and going forward um, be stalwarts. Peralta looks to me more like an innings eater. He's got a real heavy fastball. He doesn't seem to ever get as enough production as you would think he would get out of what looks like really pretty good stuff. Um, but he's built to be an innings eater, and he looks like a guy that could easily move into the number three spot in the rotation going forward. Thornburg may actually have better stuff, but he's a smaller guy. He's got sort of a uh, Tim Lincecum-style delivery, and people are questioning whether or not he'll be able to, uh, again, be a little guy that can stay in the rotation for a long time. But uh, so... I don't know whether I'm sure that they have that they'll have a good rotation going forward, but there's definitely enough things to look at that the possibility exists that they could. And if they do, for a mid-market team or a small market team, there's nothing more valuable than cheap pitching because as, as the Brewers have found out to their chagrin over the last few years, going out and buying veteran starters, especially if you're buying them from the Cardinals, um, it, it just doesn't work out very well. Where does the team stand financially uh, and as far as committing money to the payroll? Last year was a franchise record, I believe, for them. It was just a shade under $100 million, And then they had to cut costs after that this winter and, and not really bring anyone who cost money to, to Milwaukee. And it looks like their payroll is going to be lower probably than it's been for several seasons now. So what is what is that going to look like for the next few seasons? Is it going to get back to the level where we saw it in 2012, or could could it be a while? I think I think that it could fairly soon get back up to that level. Um, the, the owner Mark Adnacio has shown a very admirable willingness to invest in the team when it makes sense to invest in the team. The payroll went up when it looked like they had a shot to actually compete, maybe go for a championship um, two years ago. 
Um, and now that they've sort of gone past that cycle and are rebuilding for the next one, they've they've cut the payroll by about 20 to 25 million dollars. They they have Granky and Markham off the books. Randy Wolf is off the books. And as you say, they didn't really invest a lot of that in in free agents in the off season. I, w- I wouldn't say that they didn't do anything though. I mean, the biggest need that they had last year was in their bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I'm not a big fan of going out and giving long term contracts to big name relievers because they tend to be overpriced. The Brewers went out and spent about the same money that they spent on their sort of ill-advised um, re-signing of uh, Francisco Rodriguez, about $7 million, um, on bringing in Mike Gonzalez, who can be a good reliever if he's healthy, Burke Badenhop, and Tom Gorzolani. You know, the, the bullpen was so bad last year that bringing in a few veteran hands isn't necessarily a bad idea, and they didn't commit a lot of money or time to them. And so they actually, I think, tried to address one of the areas that was their biggest need, even though there weren't a lot of, there wasn't like a big splashing, um, big name signing. Except Kelvin so I think, Escobar. <laughs> Well, yeah, except Kevin. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kevin Bobby Crosby. Bobby Crosby, who's you know, if you want to feel old, I think he's 33 now. Wow, that kind of really shocked me. Um, so no, I think I think that if they go through this season and they see that these young pitchers actually can be competitive, that they can compete with the Reds and and the uh, uh, Cardinals and maybe someday the Cubs and the Pirates. Um, I think Anasi will open up the checkbook and go, okay, what do we need? And bring them in. I think that they've that the organization has a really good handle on knowing where their window is and knowing when to go for it and knowing when to retrench. Is uh, it, it seems like Matt Gamel is a classically tragic figure at this point. Um, is the latest injury sort of the the last blow to his hopes of? becoming anything and do you think that he would have been something or a player of interest had he not been blocked by you know other players for so many years by Prince Fielder and then injured seriously uh, before each of the past or you know last season and this season would he have amounted to something or is he a guy whose whose AAA stats probably wouldn't have translated to a great extent anyway yeah, there. I, I'm. I'm not sure whether he ever would have become or ever will become at this point. You know, a, a premier first baseman in the league. Um, he had definitely enough bat to be a real asset if he'd been able to stay at a more challenging defensive position. If he'd been able to stay at, at third base, but his fielding over there was definitely NC17. They they couldn't keep him there. So, he his upside was that of you know a competent first baseman on on a second division team. Um, I don't know now if he'll be able to be able to reach that ceiling since it's unlikely he's going to get another chance. Um, the, it's possible that he might get another shot with the Brewers. Uh, they, the Brewers basically have their first baseman of the future and Hunter Morris. Um, that's the, the man that uh, the organization believes is going to be the long-term answer at first base, um, maybe as soon as the spring, given uh, the injury to Corey Hart. Corey Hart's contract is up at the end of this season. Um, after that, they've got the, their basic core signed through 2014 with the options for 2015. Guys like Weeks and Ramirez and Gallardo fit that uh, category. They've got Braun signed through 2020. Um, so if they don't re-sign Hart, they may be just looking at having Hunter Morris step in. 
Or, you know, maybe this ridiculous uh, experiment that they're talking about trying with Alex Gonzalez at first base. Right. Maybe maybe he'll just take off as a first baseman and be the long-term answer. That, that's got to be the craziest thing I've ever read, <laughs> the idea of using Alex Gonzalez as your first baseman. I mean, that's like trying to, to bind a wound with play button, Play-Doh or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense. It's better than using the other Alex Gonzalez as your first baseman, at least. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So but it's it's a, they they definitely have better options. Hunter Morris is the guy that I would say that that they should try. I mean, he, he, it's not like he's a he was only in Double A last year, but he's a, he's a college guy. He went to Auburn. He's 24 already. I don't think it hurts anything just to find out if he has a, a reasonable spring. Just see what you have in him. Mm-hmm. So um, Jonathan Lucroy last year basically had the same offensive line as uh, Yadier Molina, uh, but in fewer plate appearances because of an injury, a freak injury, as I recall. Um, And he's also, uh, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's probably the second or third best pitch framer, according to uh, our metrics. Um, Do we have to take this guy seriously as like a MVP candidate at this point? I mean, it was one out of nowhere year, right? Uh, how seriously should we, we take it? Uh, I don't think he, I don't think it's really a, he's a threat to be an MVP candidate. He's he's a solid catcher. He's he's definitely an asset to the organization. Um, he has a he has a, a stick that he uses when when he goes to the plate. He's not your typical um, no hit catcher. He um, gets on base. He's got a little bit of power. And between he and uh, Martin Maldonado, I think that they've got um, a pretty good duo of catchers, both defensively and especially um, with Lucroy offensively. I, I think that you can safely slot him into the upper echelon of catchers in, in the National League over the next few years. But yeah, he's he's not uh, he's not Yadi Molina. Uh, nobody is Yadi Molina. RoboCop isn't Yadi Molina. Nobody's that guy. Um, but I, I think that he's a solid catcher and, and being strong up the middle, you know, and, and having him be effective and, and putting up some numbers at the catcher position for pennies on the dollar is really going to help them over the next four or five years. So yesterday we asked you about Mike Matheny, who is a first year manager. Ron Renicky has been around for two years, but I feel like I don't have that great a handle on him, maybe tactically. Can you kind of give your your high-level summary of, of Renicky. Sure. Um, Ron Renicky is of, you know, he's from the Mike Socia School of Managing. Um, he wants to have his charges run. And, and I'll, the, the things I'll say that are really good about him, which are most of the things I will say about him, is he really wants his team to be aggressive on the base paths, but he hasn't, um, you know, forced the run and making players that shouldn't be running run um they're, they're stealing bases at a high success rate they're taking extra bases um the the brewers led the league last year in both home runs and stolen bases which isn't done very frequently um he he's definitely a good leader uh the the, the players seem to respond to him he was a pretty steady hand on the tiller last year through all the injuries and you know uh, held them together until they went on their incredible stretch run but something has to be done about the sacrifice bunt. He, he, his position players for the Brewers um, bunted 25% more than any other team in the National League. Um, he, he called, I think, for eight squeeze bunts throughout the season, which is twice more than, twice as much as anybody else, uh, twice as much as Ozzie Guillen called for last year. 
Um, and in the context of the Brewers' offense, which is playing in a hitter's park with a bunch of sluggers in the in, in the lineup, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to to be laying down sacrifice bunts. I mean, if you're having Edwin, I think I wrote this in in uh, in the book that if you're having Edwin Mazonet um, laying down sacrifice bunts, that's one thing. But when when you're asking Corey Hart to do it, which he actually did last year, then then somebody's got to talk to you. So I, I think that's pretty small beer compared to the things he does well. But it's just one of those things that gets under your skin when you're watching a game. All right. Have we, I guess we've come to the prediction portion, unless you have uh, other substantial questions, Sam. He had Corey Hart actually bunt <laughs> twice, as it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's just not good. Uh, yeah, no. Let's do predictions. All right. Okay. All right. Um, well, so last year they they went uh, the Brewers went 83 and 79, and um, in going through how they've changed this year from last year, um, a lot of their uh, they would have been better last year if it wasn't for their bullpen. The the bullpen actually the the Brewers lost 14 percent of the time um, when they went into the ninth inning with a lead. Um, the league average for that is five percent. So they gave away you know seven seven games. In fact. Another way to look at it is that they went into the ninth inning leading 83 times, which was more than the Reds. Um, so by addressing some of the problems in the bullpen, I think that, that that will help them. And that's a good problem to have, I guess, if you have to have a problem as far as looking forward to the next year. That's a thing that can either fix itself or that you can fix pretty quickly, it seems. Right, exactly. The, the random hand of fate and regression will hopefully make it better, even if you don't do anything. But I think that they've taken some positive steps to improve it. Um, they signed a guy, a kid named uh, Michael Olmstead, that I think is going to be a great story this year. I think he'll make the team and uh, and be pretty impressive in, in the bullpen. Um, the rotation, well, they've lost a half a season of Zach Granke um, compared to last year, and they've lost Sean Markham. And while I think there's some upside with their replacements, you'd have to think that the, that the rotation isn't going to be as good as it was last year. The offense, I think, will be about a push. They were the highest-scoring offense in the National League last year. Um, I think that they'll be better up the middle at shortstop and second base. Ricky Weeks will bounce back. Um, and I think that there will be some regression from Lucroy at catcher. And um, I'm absolutely not a believer in Carlos Gomez uh, in center field, continuing to show the power that he showed last year, which made him a fairly valuable player. So I think that that's a push. So all in all, I come up with them being kind of the same team. I've I've got them at 83 and 79, which is five wins more than Pakota has them at. But I think the most important thing is that by the end of next year, they'll really have an idea of where they're going. They'll know whether these young arms are going to be able to be the, the heart of a rotation that can keep them competitive for a while um, or whether they're going to have to come up with another plan. If I can ask a quick follow-up question without making Sam too mad at me. Why uh, why are you so down on Gomez? I think both Sam and I have probably written a little bit about how he was a more valuable player than he'd been before last season, but you are not a believer in that power. Right. Um, yeah, There's the, the one thing that I think we'll all agree on isn't going to change is, is his approach, or at least his on-base percentage. You know, it's rare to see a player that fast do so little to take advantage of his speed. Um, just hacking away at everything, not, not really taking advantage of what his physical gifts will allow him to do. His, his fly ball, home runs per fly ball rate last year wasn't ridiculous, but it was higher than it normally is. And I understand that power develops a little bit later. Um, for players than, than other tools. 
I'm, uh, you know, this may be just residual um, distress at watching him play the last few years and being frustrated over seeing all that talent not really adding up to uh, a lot of productivity. But And I don't think that all the power is going to disappear. I just don't think he's going to hit 18 home runs. I think he's going to hit 11, 12, 13. And that may be enough, given his center field defense, to be a valuable player. I, I just don't think that – I think that he's a, one of the candidates for some regression. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Ken, uh, for appearing three times on this podcast. Um, we're going to hear an intro song, and then we're going to hear Pete Barrett interview Mike Bowman of MLB.com, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the Pirates. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. Welcome to the squeeze. Joining me today on the squeeze is one of the well-known columnists at MLB.com, Mike Bauman. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Pete. You've been all over the state of Florida recently. You've been to Clearwater, Vieira, Dunedin, Lake Buena Vista, Fort Myers, Port Charlotte, just to name a few. How's life in Florida? What did you enjoy most of your trip down there? Uh, apart from the climate, uh, <laughs> I think uh, there's some great, great baseball getting ready to be played down there. I think the, 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 I just saw the Nationals on Saturday and only won 98 games last year, and arguably they're better now. But in that division, you got the Braves who won 94, and they look better too. Um, you know, there's there's just some wonderful stories that are bubbling up to the surface down there. Now, one of the things, one of the teams that you haven't seen yet this spring, but I know you see a lot of during the regular season, and what we want to talk about today mostly is the Brewers. What are you looking for once you're going to get out there? What are you going to look to see? Well, I think that they're trying to do something this year um, with young pitching in really critical roles, Pete. And, I, and I, I'm not sure it's going to happen for them, but this is their game plan. You've got guys like Mark Rogers, Willie Peralta, who have good stuff. They're promising. And they pitched well over a, period of, a short period of time, relatively short period of time last season. And they're trying to project that over the course of an entire year to see if these guys fit in the rotation and can make a go of it. Um, you know, and last year you had a rotation that was led by Gallardo and Granke. And now you've got Gallardo and what, Marco Estrada? I mean, it's a little different situation for them. Yeah, they're going to be definitely thinner uh, at the start with the the young age and the lack of experience. Um, at first base, they're not going to have Corey Hart to start the season. Optimistically, right now, he thinks he'll be ready in late April. We'll see. Up until then, what do you think the Brewers will do with uh, first base? I'm hopeful they'll give a shot to uh, Hunter Morris, who was a Southern League Player of the Year last year, Pete. And I think, because um, otherwise you're talking about guys who are basically retreads and journeyman um this kid has some genuine promise and um it's an, it's an opportunity he never would have expected at this juncture but they need somebody to prove some offense over there Corey hart was a tremendous find last year wasn't even penciled in there and matt gamble got hurt and, and Corey not only had a decent offensive year but he really played extraordinarily well for somebody who hadn't been at first base for years so um this is a, a definite hole for them and i think hunter moore is probably profiles better in that role right now than anybody else the Brewers went 83-79 and 79 last year. We talked about some of the people that maybe haven't returned or injured. Based on what they did in offseason, combining all that, how do you see them shaking out in the NL Central this season? Yeah, they've got basically the same offense. Um, they haven't changed a lot there, and they led the league in runs scored. 
So they're probably okay in that half the game. Um, the bullpen was really a terrible problem last year. And and just on the law of averages, they should be better. They've fixed up. They've got some decent guys they've brought in. And you, you figure that John Axford will return to his form of 2011 as opposed to 2012. Having said all that, I still don't see them having the kind of pitching strength that, for instance, division rivals like St. Louis or Cincinnati would have. I think that's going to be an issue for them. But yeah, they get tremendous production from the young pitching. That's, that's what it's going to take for them. We're talking baseball with Mike Bauman of MLB.com, a columnist there. Um, Mike, what I like to do, too, is when we're talking to all these writers and columnists from around the country, is get some opinions on the bigger issues in the game. And while the Brewers didn't make the playoffs last season, an extra team from each league did. How did you feel that played out last season, that new rule? Uh, it played out better than I thought it would have. Um, I think what you're always look afraid of in a situation like that is you play off expansion that there's a dilution of the product, and there really wasn't at all. I mean, it, it just the excitement level was just extended as opposed to diminished, and and you saw some of the clubs that, for instance, St. Louis got in the second wild card bid in the NL. You know, they they were within one game of the World Series, so they deserved to be there. And it worked out better than I think all of us traditionalists would have anticipated. Yeah, and one thing I definitely like, too, is that it, it takes away any kind of um, – it, it actually gives more of an incentive to win the division in certain cases because the wild cards have to face off, uh, of course. And I do like that aspect. Other feelings that you have, I want to get a little bit of a gauge on. You've covered this game for over three decades. How do you feel about the way the game is developing over the time you've seen it since you started covering it? I'm happier with where we are now than where we were 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, it was, the game was artificially bulked up. You know, it was, just, uh, it was the whole long ball thing. And, and um, I think we're back to a classic form of baseball now. We're pitching in defense. You see the speed game being introduced again. Um, I, I just I think, you know, it's baseball in some sense has gone back to its roots. And you see in this wonderful generation of uh, talented young pitchers come up and, and – have some dominant performances. I, th- I think this is the way baseball was meant to be played, as opposed to everybody, you know, a series of 12 to 10 games. Yesterday I had the opportunity to talk to Joe Strauss of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he kind of surprised me. I asked him his feelings on the World Baseball Classic, and he told me it might not be here for that much longer, in his opinion. It's just it's, there's not a good time for it in the season. What are your feelings about the Classic? Yeah, I just had dinner with Joe um, <laughs> in Jupiter, and the same topic came up, and he was adamant about it. And he really feels that way, and, and there are some people who do. I, I think that what has happened with the Classic is it's huge in uh, Eastern Asia. It's the, in Japan, and the writers there tell me that it's just immense, that people are they anticipate it all year long. And, and um, it, it hasn't taken off in that way in these states. Um, the ratings certainly don't don't generate that kind of you know the attention. But the whole the whole point of this was internationalize the game and to focus on how uh, you know how global it's become and the tremendous influx of talent from all over the world and i mean imagine baseball now without the japanese and korean players you can't right you know, it's they're just an integral part of the whole thing so i don't think it's been a huge commercial success in the states but it probably has proved the point that that baseball has become a global situation and i, I for that reason i don't think it's necessarily doomed Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because Joe, of course, we've had a lot of people on here. Most been uh, confident that the WBC is here to stay and they enjoy it, but Joe had a little different opinion, but I'm glad to get your insight. Um, Before you go, what are your feelings? I'm guessing you're more of a traditionalist in terms of the way you like to see the game played and any kind of rule alterations 
video replay, obviously something that's constantly discussed. Do you think Major League Baseball is going to handle this right and not go too far? Uh, no, the, the current commissioner isn't in favor of any kind of, I mean, they're talking about boundary calls and, and uh, catches in the outfield. Um, he, he's um, time of game, pace of game is very big with this administration, and I think that that's a larger issue with him than expanding the role of instant replay. After a while, it's not instant replay. It's just tedious replay. And I think, I think you know, that as long as he's commissioner, and he will be for a while yet, I, I don't think you're going to see a larger thing. Maybe in the next, the next term of the next commissioner, you'll see a whole different approach, but not now. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for joining us tonight. We're going to follow your coverage as we have all the, through the offseason during the 2013 season, and we hope you have a great time uh, talking and writing about baseball. Well, Pete, thanks for following my career this closely, and uh, I appreciate your excellent questions.